Father, we ask you, God, and guide what I say. We pray, Father, you open up our minds so that we can understand our hearts, that we can respond in a way that glorifies you, builds up your people, and pleases you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been praying a little bit already. Um, I wonder what your experiences of the School of Prayer has been today. If you had been uh, following me around this morning, I think the experience of uh, the School of Prayer would be like kindergarten. About five minutes before I left this morning to come to church, I couldn't find my watch, uh, my wallet. I couldn't find my watch either. Um, and and uh, the first thing I did was, Di, Wes, have you seen my wallet? No. Okay. So I could, and so I said, Lord, could you please help me find my wallet? Went down into the study, couldn't find it. Looked around. Time's getting on. Oh, didn't have a watch, so I couldn't see. Uh, <laughs> And, and then I get into the car, I'm driving along, and then I'm thinking, I'm, I come from Wilberforce, Lord, please, on the next turn of the corner, please let there not be an RBT. <laughs> Lord, please don't let him ask for my licence, which is in my wallet. Lord, please don't give me a $112 fine. God answered it. <laughs> um, the policeman was very nice. It's, it's interesting, this morning uh, I had my car packed with stuff, so the first thing um, he said, have you got your, um, your licence? I said, I, I might have. <laughs> so I started opening up things, and one of the things that I actually had next to me was this uh, bag where I have Arnie and Zeke, my puppets. <laughs> but underneath Arnie and Zeke, uh, there is also some of those um, rubber chickens that make a noise when you squeeze and plus also a rubber pig. <laughs> Had to be very careful about this with the police just... And, and so I'm going through everything and all of a sudden he's seeing the puppets and then he hears the noises. You know, the, 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 the chalks and the pig. <laughs> and and, I, and he, he just walks away for a while and he, he comes back and, and I look at him and say, I, I still haven't found it. And he said, hmm, just tell me your... Um, he dated birth in your name and I, I gave it to him. He says, OK, yeah, you realise that uh, if you um, do drive around without your licence, it could be $112 uh, fine. Uh, count up the 10. <sighs> yeah, OK, fine. See you later. Thank you, God. The School of Prayer, kindergarten. Over the last week, I've also been to the School of Prayer University when I went to our growth group. We were praying for various um, uh, needs of people. One of the prayers was for um, a, a lady who has just put her husband into a nursing home. He's not going to come out. And uh, she was praying that um, in these last days, whatever, however long he's got, that, um, yes, please keep him comfortable, but let him come to know Jesus. We prayed for another lady that some of you know, Judy. And we were praying for her that the aggressive mesothelioma, thelioma, the cancer that she's got, um, that um, so somehow, as Judy had asked for, um, she said, um, John, God said to pray for what's on your heart and I do pray for healing. So I said, yeah, we'll pray for that. We'll pray for healing is there anything else? He said, oh, yes, just that I'll be strong and that I'll be able to 
you know, talk to people about Jesus as, as I go along. And if you know anything about Judy, uh, that's a prayer that God was honouring step after step after step uh, when she deals with people in the uh, hospital and with her family members as well. I don't know what your experience of prayer is, but one of the ways that we learn the most about prayer, I think, is actually listening to other people pray. And I, I just, I'm, I'm humbled by it. And tonight we're actually beginning to look at the, the first part of a prayer that Jesus prayed hours before he goes to the cross. And um, the series the, uh, is Take Heart from uh, John chapter 14 to uh, chapter 17. We're looking at the first part of the prayer. Uh, the next part of the prayer will be uh, looked at next week. But um, as this was being read, you could probably guess from right at the beginning, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven, and he said, and now he's in the prayer, okay? So how does he start his prayer? He looks up to heaven, the uh, normal sort of Jewish way that they would um, they pray. And he, he just spoke, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. And I think... That's beyond the university of prayer that we've been allowed to see what God is doing through Jesus to teach us about prayer. Um, on your uh, small sheet entitled Take Heart at the very top, I, I pray that this will be a, a, a time where you will take heart from the words of Jesus. You know, if someone was um, heard that uh, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer, without having John chapter 17 read out first, I reckon most people would be thinking of our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Would that be a reasonable assumption? You find that in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 6 and uh, Luke 11, but when you read it, it's actually, it reads like a checklist that Jesus gave his disciples on prayer. It wasn't... Uh, a, now, praise the, pray these exact words. But when you think about it, he was telling them how they should pray. I reckon it should be called the disciples' prayer. What we're looking at tonight is the real Lord's prayer. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed. Um, what we're looking at is what Jesus actually prayed word for word, thought for thought, and you and I cannot pray this prayer word for word because it wouldn't make sense. But we've still got so much to learn from it. And the reason why you and I can't pray this prayer word for word is simply that um, you are not the Son of God. What we are if we are trusting and obeying Jesus, we are God's adopted children. We are real children of God, but we are adopted into his family who came into the family later. And if you've come into God's family, it's all because of this prayer that we're looking at now, that Jesus prayed and how God answered it. The hour has come. We find that Jesus is reminding his father of something important. Of course, God doesn't forget. 
but he's saying it anyway just to say this is the time, this is the hour. Uh, depending on, on what you're thinking, the hour that comes uh, can either fill you with excitement or fill you with dread. Um, school holidays have come. No, they haven't really. What does it fill you with if you hear it and you believed it? School holidays have finished. How does that feel? The hour has come for the big exam, whatever it is for you. You might have, you think, ha, huh. you know, um, the, the HSC was, was not, nothing with maybe, and some of you are thinking, no, the HSC is everything, you know. The big exam, whatever the big exam is, what does that fill your heart with? The hour has come to go to the dentist. What is your most glorious hour? What has been your most embarrassing error? How does that make you feel when you think about that? And depending on if you're looking back or looking forward, the hour of your wedding. And what about this one? The hour of your last breath. Jesus first mentions the idea of his hour back in John chapter 2 verse 4 when he tells his mother at a wedding my hour has not yet come and it also introduces the first miracle that's recorded in the uh, book of uh, John in the uh, gospel of John and John goes on to mention that hour 12 times throughout this gospel it's a it's a theme that you actually see running through all of the book of uh, John and of course through Jesus ministry if you had the eyes to see it God's glory, that shining hour, has been shown again and again and again. Can you think of some times when God's glory has been shown if you had flipped through the Gospel of John? Water turned into wine. A stormy sea calmed with a word. A blind man's eyes opened. Lazarus raised from the dead those would be amazing hours to have been there and seen it but now Jesus is saying of all the things that the hour this his hour involves this is the moment as he's praying this prayer the hour has come and now he says this is what I wanted to remind you of father now you knew it the hour has come and now the request, glorify me, glorify me. Because the hour has come. This is why Jesus came to earth. The cross is so close, it's only a couple of hours away. It's so close that in verse 10, if you read there, he says, Jesus says he's no longer in the world. I don't know if you notice that. It sounds a little strange because he is in the world. It's just this way of, of communicating, of saying, although he's in the world, he's actually treating himself as if he's no longer in the world. Um, Jesus is anticipating being with his Father again. So in verse 5, Jesus says, Now, Father, again, this theme of glorifying, glorify me in your presence with that glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus had a clear mission that he was asking his father to support. 
glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Now, will the father glorify Jesus? Remember, he's looking towards the cross. Is there any glory in being nailed to a cross? And also, how can God do, uh, how can he glorify Jesus if the Old Testament has clearly said, here's a couple of um, uh, verses from Isaiah, Isaiah 42 verse 8. God says, I am Yahweh, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Jesus says, Father, glorify me. He also says in Isaiah 48:11, God says, I will act for my own sake, indeed my own, for how can I be defiled? I will not give my glory to another. Father, glorify me. Can you see what it's saying? For God to be consistent, there must be something about the nature of the Son that he shares with the Father. And what the Gospel of John tells us right at the very beginning, in the beginning in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Later on in verse 17 we find that the Word becomes flesh and we find that that flesh, that human being, has an identity and that is Jesus. That's why Jesus can say, Father, glorify me for you know my essence. This is my right. I deserve to be glorified. But it's not all about him wanting to get what he deserves. Because he said, glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Well, that's the other reason which uh, uh, Jesus gives here. is that Jesus wants to give the glory to God. Jesus' reason is totally selfless. He's all about giving glory to his Father. And then smack in the middle of talking about glory, it seems a little messy here, but he's about to be put on a cross in a couple of hours. There's ideas tumbling out in this prayer. And within him talking about glory, he now brings up the subject of eternal life. Smack in the middle of Jesus talking about glory, he talks about eternal life. In Jesus' prayer, he is anticipating his death on the cross. But even that thought about him dying on the cross is also controlled by him knowing that he's going to be going through the death to be with his father again, into eternity with his father. Jesus has eternal life within him. You see, he knows he will be going home. And right in the middle of this prayer, I think you get a little sense of the relationship of the Father and the Son. Jesus is actually looking forward to going home. Jesus is homesick. He spent 30, 33 years on earth away from the the absolute intimate contact with his father that he had experienced through all eternity. We can't get an idea of what eternity is, can we? 
but here we are talking about eternal life. What does it mean, eternal? How does it go on forever and ever and ever? You can't even say it's, you know, um, at school you learn those little um, number lines and you've got zero and you've got the negative numbers here and you've got the positive numbers there. What's eternity? So you've got to put a little arrow there and a little arrow there and it just goes on forever and ever and ever. Forever and ever and ever in the past, the Father and the Son have been in total communion, a loving relationship, and it shall continue forever and ever. Jesus knows all about eternal life and it must have been so hard for him just for these 30 to 33 years on earth to not have that experience with the Father to that extent. He's homesick. Um, He wants to go back to share the glory that he had with his Father before time and space were even invented by God. You know, one place where I think we get a taste of the idea of being homesick for heaven is at a Christian funeral. You know, the Bible actually says that, in, you know, in um, the Old Testament, it says it's better to actually go to the house of mourning than to the house of festivity because you learn so much more. This is where the real university of what life is all about is occurring. You see, for... A Christian funeral, if you've ever been to one, I'm just curious, um, how many people have been to a Christian funeral in the last year or so? Then you know what I'm talking about. The rest of us Christians have been left behind. They've gone ahead before us. Uh, Are you wondering what that picture of the mouse is on the uh, sheet? Some of you are familiar in the Narnia series, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Yeah, have a look at it now. But also up on the uh, screen, this might give you a bit of context. There's a brave little mouse called Reapy Cheap. And he's been given permission at the end of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader to go on a last final journey to Aslan's country. And it's a picture of heaven. And all of his friends who have been travelling with him up until that point, they're really sad. You know, they're, they're upset because they're going to be left behind. And Reapy Cheap, uh, C.S. Lewis writes it this way, that as he gets in that little coracle and he's taking off, uh, just before that he had to pretend to be sad to his friends because he was quivering with excitement because he was going to Aslan's country. And then he heads off to where no person can go unless they've been called by Aslan. And Aslan is a picture of Jesus. I've seen it with Christians who have had to face death. They've had a taste of heaven from God's promises. We've been told... 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 What I did not see and what ear did not hear and what never entered the human mind God prepared him for those who love him. God prepared this for those who love him. We haven't seen, we haven't heard, we can't even imagine what it's going to be like to go home if we are in God's family. Imagine what it would be like for Jesus having lived in eternity in the home of heaven, 
how he would be anticipating it. In this prayer of Jesus, if Jesus gave up at this point, he could return to the Father. But at what cost? If Jesus gave up at this point, it would mean God's plan to save us so that we too could enter into that relationship forever in heaven with God would have failed and failed for eternity. Because, I'm sure you've heard this before, there has never been a plan B that God has organised for our salvation. Everything was riding on Jesus being obedient to the Father all the way to the cross. And so Jesus' prayer was answered. And his Father would glorify him and that's one reason why we are praising God now in our songs that we've been singing and uh, as we are praying we will be praising him, thanking him and if it were possible, if it were possible for us to have the ears to hear what is happening in heaven, we would hear what we read about in Revelation 5.13. I heard every creature in heaven on earth, under the earth, on the sea and everything in them say, blessing and honour and glory and dominion to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Uh, some of you have uh, had the, um, the delight of uh, coming under the teaching of Don Carson maybe at uh, some um, annual um, uh, convention up at Katoomba or somewhere else. Uh, Don Carson actually uh, wrote a book on this series of uh, chapters in John and he was talking about what Jesus was was what, what was involved in Jesus saying, glorify your son. And he put it this way, he said, glorify your son, Jesus prays, that is, accept my obedient suffering and return me via the cross to the radiance of your unshielded presence. What a picture. The most horrific moment in history of the Son of God being nailed to a cross. But Jesus was able to see beyond it and see the glory. Do you think we've got something to learn from that as we face our life, as we face our final breath, as we face the difficulties that come each day? And from here... Jesus begins to, he's never just praying about himself. In these first verses, he's praying that God will glorify him so the Father will be glorified and now he shifts to Jesus praying for the 11. And you know it's 11 because one didn't get there. What are the qualifications of these 11? Very interesting when we look at it. We see the qualifications in verses uh, 6 to 10. Jesus has revealed the name of God to his disciples in uh, verse 6. That's their qualification. Revelation. God has revealed himself. Jesus has revealed the name of God to his disciples. For the Israelites, the Hebrews, the name of God, the nearest we can get to it in English might be something like Yahweh is the covenant name of God 
That's the name, the special name of God. But how does Jesus talk about us relating to God now since we've come into the family? Well, it's a family term. Father. That's how we relate to God. What are the qualifications of the 11? Again, in verse 6, God had given them to Jesus. And notice something? There's nothing we've done so far. Jesus has revealed God's name, Father. The Father has given them to Jesus. And then in verse 8, we see that they have received the words God had given to Jesus. And these words that God had given to Jesus, Jesus declared to them and it was because they had received those words they had also received eternal life. We go back to the beginning of this prayer that the glory is tied into eternal life and not just Jesus' eternal life but now all those who are hanging on to Jesus because they are in the family. Jesus is now praying for them in verse 9. And that's an important qualification when it's coming from God's Son himself. In verse 10, Jesus has been glorified in them. Here I think we see a little insight that how does Jesus being glorified in the disciples? It's when the disciples declare the good news of Jesus to others. And God's name is glorified. Jesus is glorified and Jesus gives the glory to God, to his Father. And we find in this prayer that as Jesus is about to go to the cross, he, he, he starts to pray for protection for his disciples. Protect them. Verse 15, I am not praying that you take them out of the world, that, but that you protect them from the evil one. That is, protect them from the devil. The devil will try to destroy their witness and destroy their assurance of their eternal life through Jesus by taking their eyes off what Jesus is about to do on the cross. But until they have completed their mission, these 11 disciples, who will also be known later as the apostles, the sent ones, they will be invincible. They cannot be killed. They shall not die until... God says, well done, good and faithful servant, come home and then they shall be taken. Up until that point, just think about it for a moment, all the times that Christians throughout all of the ages when there's been governments and there's been opposition to the point of um, saying, look, if you stay trusting in Jesus or talking about Jesus, um, you know, we'll kill you. Just think about what that actually means. Interpret this along this, the lines of, of Jesus' prayer. If you keep on talking about Jesus and staying faithful to him, we'll send you to heaven. Doesn't sound so terrifying then, does it? They will be protected by Jesus himself because Jesus has prayed for their protection, that they will hold on to God's word. And that is why you've got your Bible holding in your hand right now or your phone as you're reading the text. Because as we read God's word, we shall be protected. God shall direct us 
and he unifies us and part of Christians coming together, the prayer involves Christians being unified, brought together as we declare to each other what we have read in the scriptures and as we pray together and encourage each other, challenge each other. And Jesus prays that they shall be sanctified. Ah, there you go, one of those, uh, in Colin Buchanan's words, one of the uh, big words that end in shun, sanctification. To be sanctified is, means to be made holy and that means to be separated from the world and separated to God. They will be sanctified, they will be separated from the world and separated to God and the method that God is going to use, first of all, Jesus is praying for them. Secondly, the method that God uses is, is this any surprise? His word. Verse 14, I have given them your word. Verse 17, sanctify them, make them holy by the truth. Your word is truth. I sanctify, uh, verse 19, I sanctify myself for them so they also may be sanctified by the truth. You see, in this part of Jesus' prayer, he's praying for these 11 disciples who will be the apostles. However, the method that God is using to sanctify them is the same method he's still using to sanctify Christians today. And if you're a Christian, that's the method he uses as well, the word of God. And that means that when we put ourselves under God's word, reading it ourselves, studying it together, applying it in groups in our local church, we are in God, involved in God's sanctification program to become more like Jesus. So, are you committed to God's program? When's the last time you've genuinely spent time in God's word? You know, we can hear God's word, but have we taken it in? Have you thought about it? What are you going to do with these 19 verses that we've been looking at tonight? Are we going to forget about it at the end? Or are we going to take time to actually think through, why did Jesus pray these words? What's it got to do with me? You see, if you're not using the opportunities that God gives you to grow to be more like Jesus, then at best you are spiritually unhealthy and at worst you may be demonstrating that you're not a disciple of Jesus at all. I know it can be difficult for some people to take advantage of some of the opportunities because of genuine time commitments. Yeah, I know that that's the sort of world we live in. But only you and God knows what genuine limitations you have. So if you think you need to have some sort of a spiritual health checkup, starting with thinking through how are you going with your prayer life and you reading God's word and taking it in, why not start tonight? I think Chris might be absolutely ready for anyone who'd like to join a growth group if you're not in a growth group. Would that be a reasonable assumption? Yeah, he's nodding his head by the way. Yeah, yeah we can be encouraged I believe to take heart that Jesus has cared for his church right from the very beginning. I'm going to do a little bit of a spoiler here. Next week, we can continue to get excited by how Jesus continues to care for his church right up until today.
and that we shall be challenged to get involved in God's mission, the mission that Jesus has laid out in this prayer before he goes to the cross. Amen.